The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Insights and Strategies with Barbara Lang. On the program today, Barbara and her guests will discuss the topics you want to hear more about, from business leadership to community and education. It all affects our bottom line. Now, here is your host, Barbara Lang. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Insights and Strategies with Barbara Lang, where we will bring you thoughtful and provoking insight on a variety of business issues that impact your business on a daily basis. I am pleased to be your host, Barbara Lang, Managing Principal and CEO of Lang Strategies. We will be tweeting during the show, so please join the conversation at Lang Strategies. Our show will focus on leadership strategies, successful business strategies, mentoring, economic impact of certain industries, and regulatory impact on business with guests who have a variety of opinions, sometimes opposing opinions. Our objective quite frankly, is to be thought-provoking and provide insights you, our listener, may not have heard before. And from time to time, I will offer my opinion on these topics as well. In between shows, you can always reach me at bblang at langstrategies.com, and you can also learn more about us at www.langstrategies.com. Today, we will discuss the business of politics, and yes, it is a business, including the impact of the 2016 elections will have on organizations of all sizes and what the results will mean for your business. I'm pleased to welcome two guests to our very first show, both of whom offer unique and different perspectives on the race to the White House. A. Scott Bolden, a partner of Global Enforcement Group of Reed Smith LLC and former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party and former chair of the D.C. Chamber of Commerce. And Grover Northquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform and well-known in Republican Party circles. Gentlemen, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me, Barbara. So before we get started, let's learn a little bit about our guests. A. Scott, let's start with you. If you would tell our audience a little bit about your background and your current role and kind of the things you do that connect the law with business in our nation's capital, but nationally as well. Well, uh, Barbara, again, thank you for having me. Uh, I'll be brief. You know, in Washington, they call it the intersection of politics, law, and business. Uh, the DMV, as we say, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and Washington make up the fourth largest business um, part of the country. Um, I've been a lawyer with Reed Smith for 25 years as a uh, litigator and trial attorney. However, I've been seeped in politics and business here in the uh, District of Columbia as well as nationwide. Uh, former chair of the Democratic Party here locally and member of the DNC uh, during that period of time. Uh, and uh, as president of the Chamber of Commerce, fought for regulatory reform and uh, tax reform in the District of Columbia. Uh, I heard you say this was going to be a thought-provoking show. I'm very familiar with uh, Grover's politics as well as his pledge, and I must tell you, uh, my friends call me a conservative Democrat, so I'm not sure how much we're going to disagree on, but we'll see. Well, this will be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Grover, tell me a little bit, tell our audience, rather, a little bit about you, your current role, and what your organization's focus is. Sure. Uh, I run Americans for Tax Reform, which asks all candidates for office to make a commitment not to raise taxes. And, of course, if as a governor or a president, a congressman or a state legislator, you've committed to not raise taxes, 
you've also just committed to reform government to cost less because politicians raise taxes when they don't have the courage or capacity to actually reform government. If your <clears throat> position is nothing we've been doing for the last hundred years can ever be changed, I have to raise taxes to do anything different, well, then you're going to raise taxes. But if you are willing to reform, uh, the only way you get government to reform is when you tell them taxes are off the table now, rethink what you're doing and what your priorities are. So we focus both on reforming government costs and structures and on uh, keeping taxes as low as possible. Well, thank you very much. Uh, very informative. And I'm sure this is going to be an enlightening conversation today. This has been a fascinating election so far with uh, big personalities with very strong viewpoints. In fact, I can't remember a presidential election with so much drama, so much passion, so much mischaracterizations, so much polarization within the party and a little violence and some just plain nastiness. I can't remember a time before when I watched absolutely every single debate and town hall of both parties. Now, whoever your candidate may be and whatever the issues are that you care about, I think we can all say it has been an entertaining presidential election, however sad we may be at some of what has happened and the lack of discussion for plans for our country's future. So let's start with the Democratic side. Scott, what can we expect the impact of business on business if Hillary Clinton becomes our next president? Well, I think she's got an uh, outstanding resume to beat president. Let me start saying that. Um, and my business colleagues, uh, whenever the Democrats are in office, uh, there's always some concern about either raising taxes or uh, having bigger government. Uh, I think with Hillary Clinton, uh, her resume and her history uh, and her platform supports a small business agenda. That is, she said she will be the small business president. We know that 50% or more of all jobs created in this country come from small businesses. We know that higher wages, uh, over-regulation of small businesses, uh, as well as 150 hours spent by small businesses on employees, that certainly isn't, doesn't, uh, are, are issues that have to be changed. She's committed to making those changes. And I really think small businesses will be a, uh, the driving force behind a more vibrant economy. This economy has lagged in, after the recession under the Obama administration at disappointing. Even though 5%, we've got 5% unemployment, that really doesn't take into account those who have stopped looking for jobs. And if you compare that to prior recessions, the economy came roaring back. This one has been very sluggish, and we just don't seem to be able to uh, move out of it. I'm looking for new leadership with uh, Hillary Clinton, and it is my hope and desire that she can really get us going to a total and more effective recovery. Well, before we go to the to break and the Republican uh, response to uh, to that, why do you think that the Obama administration has not accelerated um, the recovery uh, the way that all of us would like to see it? Well, I think the, the uh, you know, the Obama administration's approach to economy recovery is, hey, we're at 5%. We were up to 8 or 9% in regard to unemployment. They, they um, indicate that's a win. Uh, they also indicate access to capital vis-a-vis -vis lower interest rates. And uh, that's only part of the story. You simply have to do more. Um, uh, I will, will concede that uh, I believe that as you look through history economically, whenever we've had a rolling economy come back after a recession, it's actually been because we have reduced government involvement in the private sector. Uh, we've, we've reduced the number of the size of government, and that's a little different than most Democrats would think, but I really think that it's a, uh, it's a real uh, image, if you will, as to really what's been uh, keeping us down, sure. But people are suffering, and you have a, have a middle class that's suffering. We have six million more poor people now than we did eight years ago. And uh, I just think there's a mixed bag of economic success, successes with this administration. And uh, I think that uh, greater incentives for small businesses, greater incentives for large businesses to invest in their people, 
uh, to get jobs going because the definition of a strong economy is a strong job market. I mean, you tear it all away. And well, so, we're going to we're going to talk. Let me let's stop you right here because we do need to go to break, and then I want to get Grover in on this conversation. Sure. Can we uh, take a Stick a pin in it for just a minute. We're now going to take a quick break. Please stay with us as we continue our discussion with A. Scott Bolden and Grover Norquist. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. I'm glad all of you stayed with us for our next segment. We still have so much to cover. So let's get and continue the conversation with A. Scott Bolden and Grover Northquist. So as we continue to talk about uh, the possibility of uh, who's going to be in the White House, on the Republican side, we have one of the most polarizing figures in presidential history with Donald Trump. Grover, what will be the impact on business to a Trump administration? Well, the reason why Donald Trump was able to win the Republican nomination, uh, even though he is running against governors with uh, rather impressive uh, uh, sets of success in terms of their own states, uh, he was sort of not the professional uh, running, not the longtime politician, was that he focused on, on jobs. And uh, it, as, as Scott was saying, look, this recovery is the weakest recovery in the history of the country since going back to 1960. And if we'd grown at the rates 4% a year that we did from the bottom of the Reagan recession, uh, as in the same time period as we did from the bottom of the recession that uh, Obama inherited, uh, we'd have 13 million more Americans at work. So if we'd grown at 4% instead of 2%, Reagan levels instead of Obama levels, tax and spending restraint rather than tax and spending increase levels, uh, there'd be 13 million people with more people with jobs, 13 million families with an additional breadwinner. The reason why we've got, you know, the terrible level of suicides in the country and the lousy economic growth is that we have had policies and followed policies which discourage employment and jobs rather than encourage it. So Trump is focused on that. And when you look at his tax policies put forward, he wants to take the business tax, not just for big businesses, but for pass-throughs, with uh, individual people whose uh, businesses are small and they pay at the individual rate, to 15%. 
we're at 35 percent for American companies. Uh, the European average is below 25 percent. Canadians are at about 17 percent. We're at 35 plus four to five percent state and local taxes add on. When you look at that, how would we expect to compete internationally when we shoot ourselves in the foot, we damage our own companies, and for the last seven or eight years, Obama's tried to raise those taxes and has raised those taxes, particularly on small businesses that pay at the individual level, up to almost 40% at the federal level. So we need to reverse the damage of the last years and take the corporate and the business tax rates down to 15% so we can create jobs, uh, as well as reducing the total tax burden that Americans uh, face and their personal uh, taxes that they pay. It's interesting, and there should be as uh, and not as much uh, emphasis on small business development that I think you both would agree. That is a point of agreement between uh, between you and Scott. Uh, there have been a number of changes on the Republican landscape this week, and in fact, the questions that I had had started to write uh, for our discussion today kind of changed a little bit. But I do want to ask uh, one thing um, uh, to Grover, uh, and that was about Ted Cruz. And, of course, he had the reputation for not playing very well with others. In fact, his uh, the, the former uh, Speaker of the House referred to him a week ago as Lucifer in the flesh. And, and of course, Ted uh, suspended his um, his campaign this week, and I wonder your um, uh, perception of did his reputation in Congress hurt him, or was he just not able to connect with the voters in the same way that Donald Trump did, talking about some of the economic issues and where people are really hurting, uh, and you talk about the suicide rates and all the things that you just described. How did Ted not get uh, to the nomination? Well, I guess since Trump defeated not just uh, Ted Cruz, who is a you know freshman senator, didn't have any accomplishments. He just got here. Um, I wouldn't be. I'm not surprised he beat Cruz since he beat Governor Scott Walker, who completely turned Wisconsin around. Uh, as Jeb Bush, who had eight years of successful governance in Florida, uh, Rick Perry, who was 14 years governor of the most successful job-creating state in the nation, Texas. Whether oil prices are going up or down, Texas keeps creating jobs, as does Florida, and he beat all those guys. So, well, so did I, the I traditional the way of campaigning? <laughs> <laughs> so, no so did everybody totally miss the miss the boat? Somehow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of the the um, uh, bigger debate items that have highlighted uh, candidates' roles on issues on both sides of the aisle that impact the business community. And one of those that I want to delve into a little bit is uh, bringing back jobs, um, because uh, both both can both parties have highlighted that as something that. Uh, needs to be done to put Americans back to work. And I think, Scott, you mentioned that while the unemployment rate is at 5%, that does not take into effect those people that have rolled off of the unemployment rolls and therefore are no longer being counted. So what do the Democrats do, Scott, to get jobs back into the economy? I think before we went to break, you started to talk about uh, perhaps more looking more at the small business arena because those are the the folks that really will hire out of the community. But what else do you think that has to be a part of the Democratic platform? Well, we just got to get uh, our man- manufacturing um, uh, situation under control. Whether you support NAFTA or not, uh, we're getting our lunch uh, uh, handed to us. Well, they're eating our lunch on manufacturing jobs. One, large companies or large manufacturing companies, we've got to give them incentives uh, in order to bring those jobs back. Uh, we can't make it onerous on the regulatory side as well as the tax side for them to create uh, manufacturing jobs here in the U.S. Two, uh, we've got to invest, the private sector and the government, in high-quality technology jobs that will make us the manufacturing uh, kings and queens of, um, of, of the world. Uh, we've got to attract 
we've got to crack down on those trade policies or those trade violators, if you will, who would who aren't playing fair on the several agreements, whether it's the Pacific Rim or whether it's NAFTA. Uh, we've got to stand up to China, uh, who is violating several trade agreements uh, and not playing fair. Uh, and then we've got to incentivize businesses, whether it's regulatory or tax, I think I may have said this already, to to bring their earnings here as opposed to overseas. Uh, it's ironic or it's crazy to me that we have American-made com- based companies, iconic companies, who are more incentivized to put their earnings offshore than they are to claim them here because of the uh, tax environment and the tax code, as well as the regulations that would suppress their ingenuity, their creativity, and job creation. And, and Scott, we've seen some of... We've got to create and train our folks to really be leaders in the energy space and the new energy space. So I think we we've, do those three or four things. Uh, I think we can bring jobs back to the U.S. and we can get this economy moving. Well, I think that uh, some of what you're saying has come up uh, on both sides of the aisles here. Uh, Grover, you're considered the tax expert. And is a complete rewrite of the tax code required to achieve some of the things that Scott just talked about and that both parties, quite frankly, have talked about? Well, I think we do need a complete rewrite. Uh, but you can make a lot of progress uh, by going to full expensing. One of the things the Obama administration did that was helpful to the economy was it allowed immediate expensing rather than long depreciation schedules for some of small business investments. That was a, a temporary effort. We, it needs to be made permanent, and it should be permanent. It should be the law for all investment at all time. That rather than depreciating it over many, many years, you should immediately, if you spend $100,000 buying machinery to make your workers more uh, productive, you should expense it. You, did, you don't have that money anymore. That's not part of your income. So uh, you're hoping to get more income in the future because of the investment, but why in the world would you pay taxes on it as if it was income or take it as a deduction slowly over any number of years? should be immediately expensed. Uh, that's something you could do, uh, and uh, all the Republican plans that were put forward this year include that. Taking our corporate rate to below the European average is a must if we're going to compete internationally. We should have we should have the lowest taxes in the world, not the lowest wages in the world. The way to keep the cost of labor down is to be the most productive, the least taxed, and the highest paid. And unfortunately, this government makes us the highest taxed, not the most productive, and not the highest paid. So, uh, Scott, in, in, in just a minute or two before we have to go to, to break, how would your uh, Democrat colleagues respond to some of what Grover just suggested? Well, we respond that we are the party uh, who is far more sensitive to suffering than the Republican record uh, on on these types of issues. You've got the fight for 15, uh, we're pro-union, and while that may be a costly measure, uh, that type of support for poor people, for working-class people, and even the middle class, you've got to do something about it. Democrats don't trust big businesses uh, or the Republican policies to reduce taxes because they always were asked, well, then where are the profits going? If you've got more money, then you need to pour it into the business. You need to raise wages, give everyone a living wage, and hire more people so that we can eliminate the highest poverty rates we've seen uh, ever. Uh, but the Democrats simply don't trust the Republicans to do that because of their track record in regard to the rich getting rich and the poor getting poor. But not all. I would assume that the Republicans would also say that they don't uh, they don't trust the Democrats uh, for some of the same uh, runaway spending that uh, that we have seen. We're going to talk more about these because I do want to talk a little bit about the minimum wage, but we do have to pay the bills. So it is time for another break. We will be right back.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Welcome back. We are continuing our exciting discussion on business and politics, the 2016 election with Grover Northcris and A. Scott Bolden. I wanted to pick up uh, where we just ended and uh, talking a little bit about wages and the differences in the Republican and the Democratic response. Uh, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour has had a significant uh, has had a, a a significant amount of airtime in this campaign, particularly on the Democrat side. Uh, the current minimum wage is seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour, and that think that was passed in two thousand nine, quite a while ago. And the economy has changed tremendously since then. Grover, is it time for that minimum wage to be increased? Well, the government shouldn't be setting any wages, uh, ceilings or uh, floors. When the minimum wage was originally uh, put in through the Davis-Bacon Act in 1932 on federal construction, uh, the discussion on the floor of the House and the Senate was a very explicit one. It was an effort to keep African Americans from working in white unionized jobs in the North. Uh, it was deliberately designed to stop people from getting entry-level positions. The South Africans did the same thing with their um, structures on, on using the minimum wage to keep blacks out of work. And when the minimum wage was nationally uh, put in in the 30s under FDR, about 300,000 African Americans lost their jobs. So this has traditionally been used to keep people out of the workforce, to keep young people from getting jobs, uh, and allowing, not allowing people who want to get a job and become trained from ever getting in that position and uh, getting into the workforce. So it's, it's damaging to the people most who most need to get into the workforce and get going. Whenever you put it in, it drops out. Some people, you can have a debate about whether it's hundreds of thousands or millions of people would lose their jobs by going to $15 an hour, uh, but you can certainly check that by doing it state by state. There's no, if it's a good idea and it makes people better off, States that do it will do better, and states that don't do it will do worse. But a federal, um, there's no reason to do it at the federal level, among other things. The living, uh, cost of living in New York and Texas are two completely different things. The idea that you'd set one wage for uh, rural and city places is nutty. Um, but you shouldn't be setting any wages. If you want to try it, do it at the state level and come and show us how it works. And why would you do $15 an hour? Why not $50,000 a year? $50,000 a year if it doesn't kill jobs, but of course it does kill jobs and it kills opportunities. And we've seen it in 
America in more racist times, and we saw it in South Africa. You know, um, it, there, there may be some merit to certainly what you're saying. One of the challenges I see by doing it at the state level is in a jurisdiction like we're physically located in and what we refer to as the DMV, uh, Maryland, uh, Virginia, and the District of Columbia, if one is not doing it, then you will uh, you will attract more people in one jurisdiction. They'll just, all they'd have to do is cross the bridge or cross over from D.C. to the Maryland line where there may be a, a, a higher wage rate. So you could have some challenges uh, along those lines as well. If the higher wage rate, the forcing the higher wage rate was a good idea, people would move to the area that set up the higher wage rate. But it may kill jobs, as history suggests, in which case people will leave. And why would you do to the whole country what you wouldn't want to do to a city? Well, I think, Barbara, if I may jump in. Um, Absolutely. I, I know wage, you would. I think the wage, the wage issue is about uh, entry-level workers primarily being trained and then those entry-level workers getting a fair wage uh, to live comfortably. Right now, 7 to $9 an hour, $7 an hour simply isn't enough given the economic changes and all that go into making a strong economy. And so... It's not about people losing jobs. It's about people getting jobs, keeping jobs, and earning a fair wage. Uh, that being said, and a strong advocate for small businesses, uh, the Democrats and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are for an increase to $12 an hour um, and even up to $15 an hour for that very purpose. Now, uh, having said that, I am super sensitive, and this is something that uh, um, the Democrats have to take up more business-like approach to is this. The small mom and pops, the small businesses, whether you make up to, you generate gross up to a million or up to five million or up to a half a million dollars and stuff, the highest cost, whether it's Reed Smith, which is a $1.5 billion law firm or a mom and pop coffee shop, the highest cost is labor. And uh, that being the case, you have small businesses who, as a matter of fact, for the record, if you raise it to $15 for them, okay, it's, they're not going to be able to survive. Between the regulatory issues, between the tax issues, and now this labor issue of $15, uh, they simply will not be able to stay in business. You juxtapose that with the fact that 50% or more of all jobs are generated by small businesses, then there's got to be a balance there. Whether you do it state to state, I'm not exactly in favor of that. Uh, the Congress has always set the minimum wage, whether we like it or not, and they're going to set it again. They're going to do something because workers are voters, if you will. And so there's got to be some balance there. Because on one hand, if you give $15 an hour to people who want a fair wage and are, are picketing the Walmarts of the world as well as the small, other, uh, other, as well as small businesses, then if those small businesses that go out of business you're going to have a negative impact on the economy because in some estimates, if you raise it, you're going to lose anywhere from 600,000 to 900,000 jobs just by raising that uh, minimum wage to $15. And so we got to figure that out. There's probably a balance in between, uh, but Democrats and Republicans both have to face that reality and uh, take a close look at it and figure it out and pass some legislation that's fair and equitable for workers as well as the business. I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I know that that's on the um, agenda in the District of Columbia. I know the mayor has uh, put forth uh, legislation, and I think there are folks trying to get it on the ballot as as well. Um, you know, the the thing I would I would say is it, by the mayor's proposal, it is to be at um, fifteen dollars an hour by the year twenty twenty. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that people wouldn't deserve more than fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty with the way the economy goes. So I think there's just got to be a different way, uh, as you have suggested, of looking at this. I'd like and, to, and Barbara. The, if I may, the other thing is this this idea that that by that the reason that most small businesses are against a higher wage for their workers because that cuts directly into their profit. That may be in some cases, but reality is it's the difference between surviving and succeeding or failing. So I don't think that it's not fair to say to entrepreneurs and who in this capitalist society that we shouldn't make money as small business owners or any business owner, if you will. And again, that's going to take a balance. 
but you can't well, put them out of business by raising the wage wage to minimum of fifteen dollars an hour. Well, you know, if if you go back into this election um, in and uh, um, talk about how business feels about things, um, particularly on the Democratic side, Wall Street and big business, you know, have really been demonized uh, during this election cycle, uh, particularly by one of the Democratic candidates. Um, The question I would ask to both of you, uh, is the criticism fair and has it been warranted? Well, Wall Street and, and big banks certainly had their hand in the 2008-2009 uh, recession or financial crisis. There's no doubt about that. That's well documented. The idea of banks and financial institutions being too large to fail, uh, that's just not acceptable because they were too big, they failed, and they failed our housing economy, and they failed our financial uh, economy across the board. Uh, and so I do think the criticism is fair. The real issue is, have we cleaned it up under Dodd-Frank? Have we cleaned it up, or do we need more reforms? And are the banks going to play ball? Because i got to tell you, our whole financial system was in crisis and could have fallen, and life for all of us would have been a lot worse had they not had the government uh, not propped it up, in my opinion. That being said, we've got to go after the individuals and the bad actors, and we can't be afraid, which means we need to put more money in the enforcement of those bad actors on Wall Street for the welfare of the country. Well, I think that there were some bad actors, but everybody was not a bad actor. And the way this is being portrayed is that everybody was bad. Grover, your comments on that, how, how do you think, and, and more importantly, what should business do to change the perception that is being put forward? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I would have supported the... Uh... Uh, the bailout, if I'd had to vote on it, uh, you had a problem that two government institutions, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, were taking on uh, debt that they knew was bad, that they're taking on mortgage they knew were bad. And since all the businesses knew that they were willing to do that, they kept making those loans and then shipping them over to uh, Fannie and Freddie. And at some point that was going to uh, collapse, and it did. Uh, what uh, Dodd-Frank did was add a whole bunch of regulatory burden on both large banks in New York, none of whom really objected to this because it doesn't really bother them, uh, and a lot of smaller banks around the country who are being badly damaged, and we're probably going to end up with a handful of large banks nationally and wiping out the local banks because of Dodd-Frank. It's kind of structured to do that. What Dodd-Frank did was, quote-unquote, fix everything except the problem which was Fannie and Freddie's uh, forcing of of the purchase and dissemination of uh, questionable uh, loans that were not going to be paid back uh, and and weren't. So when the government creates a problem and then they turn around and blame everybody except itself, that's par for the course. Uh, That's what happened in the same uh, structure with the SNL uh, quote unquote the bailout of the SNLs because the government uh, gave $100,000 guarantees uh, multiple times to lots of people who made very, very bad, questionable, turns out questionable, turns out to have been bad loans uh, in the 80s. And that was a government decision to subsidize failure. And as you, when you subsidize failure, you get lots of it. So in both of those crashes, you could tell that was going to happen. People wrote about it ahead of time, not the size of the crash, but exactly what the problem was and how it was growing and what was going to happen at the end of the day. Uh, these were not surprises. These were not something that uh, uh, had not been pointed out, and they were government policies which damaged the economy. And then the government turns around and blames everybody but itself. It's a little tiresome to have them do that, but at some point we have to reform Freddie and Fannie. I think we should break them into little pieces and privatize them and not have huge structures like that. The too big to fail are the government entities, government controlled, managed, appointed leadership as Freddie and Fannie. I'm much more scared of them than banks in New York who can and should go bankrupt when they screw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob, you know, that, you know, those are attractive arguments, and I can't disagree with that because at first blush I felt the same way, but in the end, uh, we are where we, we were where we were, were. Oh, guys, that was awful. They were where they were at the financial crisis, and you got to fix it. And so do you not prop them up? Do you not invest? Do you not bail them out? What does that leave the local, state, uh, federal, and world economy? It was just and- that bad. I think we ought to learn from our mistakes, of course. 
and I think we ought to uh, reform Freddie and Fannie, Fannie Mae for sure. And I don't necessarily disagree with Grover's uh, issues or his statements. At the same time, though, the reality was we had to do something, and whether we liked it or not, that's what the solution was. Well, you know, um, we we will debate that for uh, quite a while, and I think one statement, it's for sure, we don't want to make the same mistake uh, again. We're nearing the end of this segment, and uh, we're going to stop for a break, but I know that Grover has to bounce off, and just want to thank you for joining us on well, our inaugural you. show, Grover, and uh, we'll take a break right now, and Scott and I will be back for the final segment of the show. Thank you, everybody. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Well, welcome back, everybody. We will be continuing our exciting discussion on business and politics, the 2016 election. And for this final sec- uh, segment, uh, we have A. Scott Bolden uh, with us to continue this, uh, this discussion. So, Scott, the, if you look at uh, some of the things that have happened in the, uh, this presidential um, election cycle, uh, General Election, uh, General Electric, excuse me, and Verizon were specifically called out by presidential candidate Bernie Sanders for outsourcing a lot of jobs overseas. And of course, both companies have uh, have responded, but they did it because the cost of doing business in the U.S., whether it's the tax rate, labor costs, regulatory burden. Et cetera, et cetera, and bringing back jobs to the yes to the U.S. is a priority for everybody. So we, you touched on this earlier. What does the U.S. government have to do to make this a more competitive environment? And I'm not speaking about the District of Columbia right now. I'm really because we know mm-hmm. we have some challenges here, but mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. a national basis, what do we need to do? Well, listen, these are iconic companies that have been singled out. They started here in the U.S. They want to be here in the U.S. They're still major employers despite their outsourcing. And while this, these discussions may be politically driven, it is a uh, sad statement that iconic companies like GE and Verizon uh, have the need for tax purposes, uh, for wage purposes, and the cost of doing business to outsource jobs elsewhere. They're not the only ones that do it. 
uh, across the board. You can I can give you examples. But the reality is we've got to reduce the cost of doing business here in the U.S. That's not a bad word for for individuals or for any candidate whatsoever. We should want to reduce the cost of doing business. Ideally, the more money that these companies make, the more people they employ, the more they can invest in the communities that they serve. And I would hope that good businesses, strong businesses, and uh, and businesses that care about this country and their community would do the right investment. Uh, there's not much trust there between the government regulators and these businesses. And uh, I think the tone of the campaign, the tone of the rhetoric between regulators and, business, and these businesses uh, has to change. It has to be negotiation and dialogue and listening to what those businesses need to bring not only those jobs back, but their earnings uh, from overseas back so that it is not uh, tax-oppressive for them to uh, have jobs, wages, and earnings here in the U.S. Well, you know, without a robust business climate, and 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 when I used to be CEO of the D.C. Chamber of Commerce, that was always an issue because the, you had a business and the advocates, and they always seemed to be at odds with each other. Uh, right. But people need to realize that without a robust business climate, there will not be the tax dollars for infrastructure, for social service needs, for job growth, other investments. How do we uh, how do we get everybody to play in the sandbox together and we work to actually get something done? Well, I mean, this this debate between individuals and workers and business is as old as some of the oldest professions. And I got to tell you, it seems to me it, what works best is uh, is that that. People who work for companies, they get a fair wage. They get treated fairly in regard to their leave, uh, their maternity leave, their insurance, their 401Ks. People who feel empowered are stronger, better, and happier workers. And they speak well of the company in regard to where they are most happy uh, in connection to uh, their employment. That's good for business, quite frankly. On the other hand, the business, the the workers ought to certainly want that company that they love so much because they're paid a fair wage and are promoted and and have a good work experience. They should want them to generate as much money as possible because it's going to be reinvested in service, reinvested in that company, and really reinvested in them. If both manifest and demonstrate those interests and those interests that are cross-pollinating, then you have a perfect, a well-balanced, working business relationship. The problem is that there's much distrust. I think the unions have a lot to do with that. Not all. I won't blame them for everything. But there's this distrust there. And so you have to take baby steps, whether it's local or national, in kind of rebuilding that trust. There's probably blame on both sides, and historically and going forward there will be. But you've got to be able to reach that middle ground because you've got to believe that both sides have an interest in the company being a high-performing company and the workers being high-performing employer employees. Uh, very interesting. And so uh, are, we, are you optimistic that we're going to get there? Uh, you know what? I think it's going to be helter-skelter. I think it's going to be case-by-case by, case, uh, by companies. Uh, I think the PR is hurting uh, GE and Verizon and other similarly situated companies. Uh, I don't think the PR is as bad as the workers in the union say, uh, but I also don't think the major companies have clean hands, as they would like to argue. You know, my grandmother used to say the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees that the truth is in the middle somewhere. As my grandmother used to say also, we need to get to get into the middle then. And it's hard to bring people to the middle. You know, I'm a litigator, and I've settled any number of cases over 30 years of practicing law. And I think when people get to the middle, uh, whether you push them or pull them, uh, you can get some resolution. And this issue is no different. We have a rift in both parties right now as we move to the house, to the White House. Um, I won't ask you about the Republican side, and Grover is off uh, off the air now. But let's talk Please about ask the. Me. Please ask me about <laughs> the Republican side. Yeah, it's much more fun. 
let's, Democrats. Let's, <laughs> let's let's just speak to the to the Democrats. Uh, certainly, Hillary Clinton is perceived <laughs> okay. as as the uh, Democratic nominee. Yet Bernie is still hanging on, and um, uh, and maybe doing some damage. And is there any way to get them the the far left, the progressive wing of the party, to get them more to the middle, such that she can move forward and represent the party without all of the back the backfighting? Well, you know, the progressives are tired of being overshadowed and dominated by the centrists in the Democratic Party, starting as far back as the Clinton days uh, and the Democratic Leadership Council. Uh, they're well-financed. They have a great candidate in Bernie Sanders. He keeps winning uh, delegates in any number of states. Uh, the path forward is, is not as bright and uh, doable for him right now, but he keeps winning. And so uh, I think that they are going, their strategy is going to be to pull her to the left, not her pulling them to the center. I mean, these are realistic people. But their interests and their agenda is progressive. Progressives well, Scott, are very real about this fair compensation and against Wall Street. Go right well, ahead. So Scott, if, that, if they do that, uh, that may challenge her in winning uh, a national election. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Well, well I, we've come... We've come to the end of uh, end of our time today. Uh, I'd like to thank our listening audience for joining us today. The impact on of politics on business is an extremely important topic, and we will continue to explore this. I was so pleased today to share the airwaves with our expert guests, A. Scott Bolden and Grover Norquist. Let's keep the conversation going on and off the air. Please follow me on Twitter at Lang Strategies or email me at bblang at langstrategies.com. And please also visit our website at www.langstrategies.com. And remember, people are divided in three groups. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Others wonder what happened. Which group are you? You have been listening to Insights and Strategies. I am your host, Barbara Lang, Managing Principal and CEO at Lang Strategies here in Washington, D.C. We hope you will join Join us for next week's show when we will discuss the concept of equitable communities and its ties to business. Thank you and good day. Thank you for tuning in this week to Insights and Strategies. Remember to join your host, Barbara Lang, each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 